chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, if you're a note taker, there's two things that you want to go ahead and, and, and begin to jot down. I'm going to introduce you to two groups, and then we'll talk about two tensions that naturally will come out of the flow of the scriptures tonight. The first group that I want to introduce you to uh, tonight is the Gentiles, and we'll kind of discuss them as we go throughout the scriptures. But simply put, the Gentiles were P- anyone who was not Jewish. It's as, as simple as I can put it to you. And that kind of brings us to our second group, which is the Jews or the Israelites or the, uh, the children of God as, as, as we read throughout the scriptures. And this is what you need to know about the, the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people to be God's chosen vessel to bring the glory of God to the nations of the earth. They were called by God to be a holy people priests and prophets, but the theme for tonight is a holy people, check this, set apart. Let me kind of break that down. Basically what that means is that their lives should not look in any way, in any way at all, like someone in the world who has no relationship with God. And so that brings us to the first tension of the night. And, and I just want to say from the beginning, it, it's weighty, it's heavy, but it's good for the soul. And the first tension that we're gonna wrestle with throughout the scriptures tonight is this idea of holiness. It's this idea of being set apart. And the interesting thing when we talk about holiness and we talk about the dynamic tonight of Jew and Gentile is that when the Gentiles would look to the Jew, historically we see whether it was through war, whether it was through the miraculous or other uh, situations that happened throughout the scriptures, what we would see is the Gentiles would experience that God is powerful and almighty in everything that we read about in the word of God. But here's the interesting dynamic. When the Gentiles would look to the Jews to learn about God, most often they would get a confused, distorted picture of what it looks like to journey with God. Now that's an interesting thought. How is it possible for people to look to God's people and get a distorted view of what it looks like to be in intimacy with God? Now I'll tell you why. Because when they look to their lives, more often than not, what they saw is that their lives looked very very the same as theirs. That's, that's terrible English right there. But they look the same. And, and I just want to say this. If everyone got out their phone right now, and I'm not asking you to do that, but if everybody got their phone out right now, and, and I just said, hey, I want you to go through your phone and then get a notepad and just begin to write people that don't know the Lord. You know, honestly, I, I think in 2017, unless you just have no friends, we could come up with a pretty lengthy list of people who don't know the Lord. Now, here, here's my heart behind this. If I asked everyone, hey, let's pray over that list. Who here wants to see that list come to the Lord? Who wants to see them become passionate about Jesus? Who wants to see them come be a part of house church? Who wants to see them come to our baptism service and, and, and be baptized? Every single person in this room would go, if you believe in the Lord, would go, oh yeah, I want that. I want my friends to meet Jesus and I want my friends to go to church. Now, now here, here's my heart behind this. Guys, if we don't want our friends to meet Jesus and we don't want our friends to know the Lord, then tell them you know Jesus. Tell them you're in love with God. Tell them about ethos. Tell them about house church and then go and live the same way that they live. You know what happens? It just confuses them. 
And so the Jews distorted for the Gentiles what it looked like to journey with God. And my heart tonight, even as we start talking about holiness, is that we as Christians would repent tonight in coming to a place where we stop giving the world a distorted version of actually what it looks like to live under his lordship. And that brings me to my second tension tonight. As we will journey throughout Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, we will see in many ways that the Bible begins to discuss reconciliation. And that's a conversation of prejudice and racism. And I just want to just preface this to say that I'm not oblivious to, to not know that that is a sensitive subject right now in our culture and our society. And I also want to say that I'm not oblivious to think that in one conversation, one way conversation, that I can, that I can give you something that's, that's going to be so amazing to where you're going to, oh, like Chris said something in it, and it, and it made it all better. It's not, not, but I am saying this tonight. I am saying that I'm not going to run from the conversation and that we as Christians shouldn't run from the conversation. And this is why, because God doesn't run from the conversation. It's right here in the word. And I believe that the answer to racism and discrimination and everything that comes with that is the same answer today that was the same answer between the Jews and the Gentiles. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. And so as we jump into Ephesians 2, some of you were like, Willie, please get to the scripture. Like we're, we're getting there. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, therefore, and that basically just ties into the sermon. If you were here last week, therefore, for it is by grace that you've been saved, black, white, Jew, Gentile, Asian, Puerto Rican, rich, poor. Doesn't matter if you're rocking J. Crew like me and Cole rocking the same shirt tonight, or it doesn't matter where you should, like literally everyone is saved by grace through faith. And here's the thing, we've got to stop being Christians that are trying to live in such a way that maybe just one day God will look down and change verse 8. Well, look at you, you're good enough now, let me change verse 8. No, there isn't a person that's ever lived outside of Jesus that has the ability to shift the scriptures. As a matter of fact, he is the word, he is the scripture. So therefore, it just ties in. Uh, how does that sound for someone who was in English one till like my senior year? So therefore, remember that God can redeem all things. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision, some of the Gentiles by those who call themselves the circumcision, that being the Israelites or the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, this is a word that I want us to remember. This is Paul petitioning the heart of the listener to say, I want to get you to a place, but in, for, in order for me to get you to this place, you have to remember. Check out verse 12. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And he's saying, hey, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what it was like before you gave your life to Jesus. I want you to remember what it was like before you got baptized. I want you to remember what it was like before you ever stepped into church, before you ever found community in the Lord. He's literally saying, I want you to remember tonight. And I love this idea of remember because Paul is saying, hey, it points to this idea saying, don't forget. Now, even as I introduce what I'm about to say, a lot of you will have to Google this, and that's going to show probably more my age than yours. But back in the day, if I wanted to get on the internet, there was this thing called AOL. Some of you are like, what, what is that? Is that like the new LOL? No. AOL, back in the day, to get on the internet, you had to dial up, which means you no longer had a phone. 
at your house. No longer, nobody could call. You had to dial up, you had to sit in front of the internet. Now I remember being in middle school, 75 pound head, or body, same size head, and waiting with great expectation on the internet. Now here's what would happen once I got hooked onto the internet. There was this thing called AIM, which was instant message. It literally, for you guys who don't know, it was the uh, original gangster of social media. And so, it, I mean, it was like the first thing. You had a screen name and you had your own little profile. I literally remember in middle school, dad dropping me off. He was a young guy. He was like MTV teen dad before the show. And so he drops me off at the mall, probably bad parenting middle school, hands me $20. And me and my buddies would go around, hey girl, what's your screen name? Now I blamed it on like DMX, Eminem. But whatever, but here's the funny part about the story. You fast forward to a week ago. Now, some of you pray for me. Sometimes I get mad at things that don't work. I look at my phone and I begin to trash talk it. I'm like, I'm trying to get on the internet. Work. Like, I'm like, I will throw you across the room. Like, you ever, and so none of you, I guess you guys are better Christians than me. So I get mad on my phone and I could just imagine, uh, you know, 75 pound Chris, same size head being like, hey, do you remember how, how it used to be? And you're complaining now about how it's good. Now, I know that's silly, but let's kind of even go deeper. Because the idea of being forgetful people who need to remember is honestly a heartbeat that we continually find in God's people's, like the people journeying with God throughout the scripture, this idea that they need to remember. I, I think about this story in the book of Exodus. It's an amazing moment. These people had been in slavery for 400 years. Could you imagine, hey, great, great grandpa, like, like tell me, oh, we're just slaves. For 400 years. Now, for the first time in 400 plus years, you and a million plus people are on a journey to freedom. And you look behind you and on the horizon is uh, the Egyptians who have enslaved your people for 400 years. And then you look this way and the difference between you and freedom is a Red Sea. And you go, well, what are we gonna do? And we sing a song about it. And I split the sea so I could, right? It's like the one time in ethos, it's okay to shoulder lane, like split the sea. Anyways, so there's this moment in the scriptures where God splits the Red Sea, guys. And just imagine you're walking through and as you're walking through, it's kind of like SeaWorld without the walls. You, you got whales and sharks, I mean, it's amazing. I remember when I first read that story being like, these people are never gonna sin again. Like they literally just walked through a miracle. You know what's interesting to me? is when you read that story just a few chapters later, in real time, it was like a month or so, we find that same group of people standing in the desert going, God, where are you? You've abandoned us. And I'm like, these people are, nah, what are you, like, it's amazing how we forget. I want you to imagine just for a moment that the version of you that gave your life to the Lord, think back to that day. I want you to imagine that that version of you was to walk into our church tonight and imagine that that version of you was to sit down next to you I want you to think about how that conversation would go. Would that conversation be a conversation where they are celebrating because you're living in the holiness, you are fighting the good fight, you are passionate about the things of God? Or would that conversation, the brand new born again, come up out of the water, Jesus this, Jesus that, you tell everybody about the Lord, would that version of you be scratching your head and being like, why are we dating him? He doesn't even love the Lord. Why are we still struggling? Oh, you haven't got help? 
And I just wonder tonight, if that version of us that, that gave their life to the Lord that day, if they didn't come along and just throw their arm around us and be like, don't you remember? Have you forgotten that when we said yes, we said yes to a life that did not look like the world's? And I just wonder tonight, how many of us, we sing these songs, yes and amen, we'll sing it here in a little bit. It's my, it's my getting swole, saving soul song in the gym, like I love it. I grew up in, a, uh, uh, not going to church, but when I found the, found the Lord, there, there was a song we sung all the time. It was like, I surrender all. And I just, you know, wanted to get unsaved every time that guy led that song. Uh, but the truth is, with my heart, when I was younger, really I was singing, I surrender some. And I wonder how, how many times, just even in the songs that we sing compared to the life that we live, we're actually lying to God. Call me out upon the water. Nah, not really, not really. And God tonight is saying, there's so much more than a nine to five. There's so much more than just paying your bills and saving up and dying. There's so much more. It's an invitation to be holy and set apart. And the question tonight that I want us to wrestle with in the idea of holiness is, what are you so afraid of? We've seen that God is faithful. That is our confidence. Do we truly believe that he really is faithful? This brings us to the second part of the scriptures tonight in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, I want you to remember, and then he's going to kind of shift gears and talk about once we remember about where we used to be, then he talks about Jew and Gentile and how reconciliation takes place. But you look to verse 13 and he says, but now, and I love that, it's my favorite parts in the scriptures, but now when, when God steps in, when he comes into the room in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that he didn't say you were brought near by your good works. You were brought near by the the fact that you fed the homeless a lot. You were brought near because you didn't do this or didn't do it. He said, no, no, no. You were brought near by the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the best best news you'll, you'll hear all day. Can't find that in an app. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile, Jew and the rest of the world. And he has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility. He's destroyed racism and, and, and discrimination. Like God of the universe is passionate about going after it and destroying it. And, and he says, dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Check this out. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile, there's the word, both of them to God. How are you going to do that, God? Oh, through the cross. He says, by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. You know, there's this verse in uh, Revelation 7, and I love this. Uh, because in Revelation 7, when you read it, it's this picture of heaven, every uh, nation, every tribe, every tongue worshiping the Yahweh, God, King Almighty, Lord, we hope yes and amen is in there because we love that song. But it's like we're just worshiping every color, every tongue. Like it's, a, it's amazing. But you know what's really uh, has been powerful for me as I, as I dove into this? God says, hey, Chris, what did I say when I taught the, the people how to pray, my disciples? 
He says, what does what's he, what's he say about bringing heaven to what? Earth. So make sure you guys are alive out there. I really, I really can't see um, anybody. I can see over here, you're looking good. Um, but he says, I want to bring heaven to earth. Now, this is pretty amazing when you think about Revelation 7, because that's heaven in every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every skin color. And then I'm looking to my church, I'm looking to this church, and I'm looking to my own life, and I'm going, man, how am I taking my spiritual lasso and whipping it and going, God, bring it into my generation. Bring it into my church. Bring it into my house. Bring it into my dinner table. Bring it into my coffee shop. Bring it into, like, what are we doing to bring it in? And I, two weeks ago, man, I had this moment where the Lord was just like, listen, pay attention. We were sitting in a, a conference that makes me sound a lot cooler than I am, but we were at a conference and it was a church planning conference. And in between speakers, they played this video of this 80-year-old uh, African-American preacher. And he spent a couple minutes talking about race and discrimination and then something so profound, church. If we could just get it, it would change Nashville. He literally said, they, they, they were like, hey, what's your answer to, to race and reconciliation? And he said, the church has got to start singing again. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And I got to tell you, I was challenged by that because I started going on the plane ride back home. I go, man, at what point did I stop singing red and yellow, black and white? Because when I was on the playground, I didn't see color. All I wanted to know is don't, don't try to be my Power Ranger. Like I'm going to be Rocky. I'm going to be Tommy. Depends on the day. Like that's all I cared about. And somewhere in the journey, we as Christians... I'm not talking about the world. We as Christians, we've started singing white and white and white and white and occasionally some different colors. They are children of the world. And, and I'm not saying, I, I am stepping on toes tonight because Lord, I'm stepping on my own toes. And I'm just saying, man, it's like, we want to change Nashville. We want to reconcile. Here's my heart. You ain't going to find it in the red and you ain't going to find it in the blue. You ain't gonna find it in Washington. You ain't gonna find it on Facebook. You're gonna find it when a church gets on its knees and says, God, we want Revelation 7 and we don't want it later, we want it now. Amen. And we gotta take that spiritual lasso together and just bring it in. Because when we start to bring it in, people are gonna go, oh man, I can't find this anywhere. And then you point to Ephesians, you go, hey, 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 ethos didn't come up with this. Actually, Jesus came up with this. God of the universe is passionate about reconciliation. And I love this in verse 18, he says to, to as I begin to kind of land this plane, he says that in verse 18, he says, for through him, through who? Through Jesus, doesn't say through ethos, doesn't say through good sermons, it doesn't say through good worship, doesn't say good podcasts, doesn't say, hey, go wreck your yard, you'd be good. Like it says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, everyone in this room has access to the Father by one Spirit. I love that word access. Black, white, Jew, Gentile, Asian, Puerto Rican, all the nations of the world, we all have the same access. Crackhead, stripper, pastor, stay-at-home mom, we all have the same access. Why? Because of Jesus. And some of you are already, as I say that, going, no, 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 you don't. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. 
and you don't know what I've been through. And this is where I tell you with all of my heart that if we were to take turns from youngest to oldest or oldest to youngest, take turns listening to the podcast of everybody's heart, the common theme or the common thread that we would all come to is that we all need Jesus. And I tell you tonight that we have access and just as I begin to land this, I, I wanna talk to the non-Christians in the room because I believe if there's a verse for you tonight, I believe that this, this is it. In verse 19, he says, consequently, he, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, he says, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And this is kind of the, the option on the table, like saying yes to Jesus, it, it's, it's that easy. Like here in a few seconds over on my left shoulder is a big respond banner. If you wanna meet Jesus, come hang out, like I'll introduce you. But I, I wanna just say, I wanna, the reason I said this verse is for you because the idea of being foreign and stranger, I think it's so interesting to me how we as church, we just assume people who have never been will just kind of understand. I remember the first time I ever went to church, 18 years old. The only reason I went is because the lady I worked with invited me like 30 times and she was sweet and she was nice. I finally was like, look, I'll go. If you want to ask again, that's kind of the deal. We like, we dabbed on it. Like it was, we, we, we was good. And I went and, and it's interesting because, you know, it was like Wednesday night or Sunday, I can't even remember, it was a Sunday because we were taking the Lord's Supper. They're like, hey, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. I'm like, word, I'm hungry. And then they passed this little piece of bread and I'm like, man, this church is poor, but it's big, I'm just confused. <laughs> and then the next statement, they're like, we're gonna drink somebody's blood. I'm like, I ain't drinking no blood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, think about how, how, like you hear that all the time. Like here in a few minutes, we're gonna go take the bread, it represents the body. And then we're gonna drink the cup, it represents the blood. And I'll say this, I'm just saying, we forget as Christians. And I want you to know that I get it. I remember being 18 years old, being a dude that couldn't stop smoking weed, couldn't stop partying, and couldn't stop sleeping around. And I thought, because the world had told me this, that if I wanted to come to Jesus, and I knew I needed to, that first night, man, that first night, when the Holy Spirit hits you, ha, he, you know. I mean, you know. And I like tried to smoke it away. It just got worse. I'm serious. And here's the, here's the dynamic. I literally like, I'm like, I can't get away from it. And I thought, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. But you know what I also thought? I'm like, man, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, I need to clean myself up. You know what happened? I spent weeks being miserable. And then I finally had the, the, the clarity, and I believe it's just the Holy Spirit because he is good and he is faithful and he is in pursuit of you. You think you showed up here because you just showed up here? No, God put it in your heart to show up. And man, Holy Spirit taught me, you don't clean yourself up and come to me. No, you come to me and I clean you up. And I'm gonna tell you what, man, it's gonna be tough and it's gonna be hard, but here's my promise if, if you're a non-Christian. Here's my promise, and you can take it to the bank. You will never regret living for God. You'll regret doing a lot of things, but you will never regret living for God. And this is, this is I challenge you, not, not in like a, 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 a high and mighty, like this is humbling. I challenge you. This is literally one sentence for the next 30 days. I just challenge you to go, God, if you're real and you wanna have a relationship with me, would you show up? 30 days, just pray, God, if you're real, you want to have a relationship with me, would you show up? Next, 
uh, verse I want to look at. We're just kind of laying as, as we talk about, um, just want to speak to the Christians. But uh, look to verse 20. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets with Christ Jesus himself. As the chief cornerstone, verse 21, he says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. That's the idea of holiness, a holy temple in the Lord. And he's talking about the church. That's, that's us, ethos. Verse 22, he says, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. And I love this because God in Ephesians 2 tonight is reminding every single person who claims ethos as home. He said, hey, I want you to know, not only am I not done with ethos, but I'm not done with you. You know, every person in this room, we are all broken. And that's not the end of the message. Like, I love that Jesus created a place where people could belong before they believe. But I love even more that he created a place where it was okay to not be okay, but it was not okay to stay there. And so I just... Church, I'm telling you tonight, I've never met anyone in my entire life who is killing it so good spiritually that they're on a spiritual Wheaties box in heaven and the angels are sitting around eating them on breakfast, pouring. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. I guarantee not one person in this room, if we DVR'd our entire week and said, hey, let's play it up on the big screen. There's not gonna, there's gonna be parts where you're like, hey, can we, uh, can we fast forward that? Because I, you know, I, I said something in traffic I shouldn't have said. I was in the gym and I looked. And I say that to say this. God is calling his church to be different from the world. And this is my challenge tonight for us. And, and this is where I'm going to land. You know, when I was younger, if you would have asked me, you said, hey, Chris, like, if you could hang with anyone who's ever lived, who would you hang out with? Truth is, I said Michael Jordan. Still the greatest basketball player to ever live. I don't care what kind of Kool-Aid you're drinking. Shout out, not to LeBron. Um, I'm gonna be me, I can't help it. Uh, but, you know, when I grew up, I, I wanted to be like Mike. I had the shoes, I had the jersey. Anytime the, the Gatorade commercial would come on, I want to be like my, I mean, listen, I'm telling you, same size head, 75 pound body. I grab a basketball, I run outside, I lower to six, I still couldn't dunk, but I do a clean layup. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> ah, and stick out my tongue while doing that. Michael Jordan. But you know what's interesting is if you ever play sports, some of you didn't, so hopefully you'll be able to pick up on the, on the illustration. But when you stepped into a locker room, each athlete in their locker room would have things hung up in their locker that motivated them and pushed them to become great. Now, obviously, motivation of Michael Jordan wasn't that great for me because I ended up being him. But I would have Michael Jordan in there because he was like, you look in there, these are things that motivated you. Practice gets hard, you get it. I just want to be like Mike. And, and, and here's, the, here's the thing. Now that I'm older, if you said, hey, uh, Chris, you know, who do you want to hang out with who's ever lived? Of course, we've got to take Jesus off the list because then if you're Christian, you don't say Jesus, then you feel bad. So Jesus aside, I would hang out with the writer of Ephesians. I'd hang out with Paul. Guys, listen to me. He was the ISIS in a sense of his day. He literally was the head of a religion that was all about stomping out the way of Jesus Christ. 
And in Acts 9, you can go study it, he, he is on the way to kill more Christians, and on the journey, he has a radical change. Why? It wasn't because someone preached a good sermon. It wasn't because he fell into a church that had great worship. It was because he met Jesus Christ. He has an encounter, and one encounter with Jesus Christ radically changed his heart, and he spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus and planting churches as he went. And if I was to hang out with Paul, you could imagine I'd turn into the kid that would ask a thousand questions. Paul, what was Timothy like? Paul, Paul, what, what was Titus like? Paul, why, why was you single? You know, it's like, there's a lot of ladies out here, you know? Paul, Paul, I'd ask, Paul, Paul, where's your fire? Paul, how do you stay motivated? Paul, 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 this. And, and you know what I, basically where I'm trying to get at is, Paul, what hung in the locker room of your heart? And I could imagine Paul with a serious face just being like, you know what hung in the locker room of my heart, Chris? pictures of moms and dads and brothers, sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins who I murdered and who I killed who were just trying to live like Jesus. And I could imagine him looking to me and saying, Chris, that's my motivation because if God can change the heart of a murderer to plant churches all over the world. Who cannot be saved? And you say, Chris, what hangs in the locker room of your heart? I tell you a bunch of weed. I tell you parties that I wish I never would have went to. A lifestyle that God saved me from. I tell you about pictures that hang in the locker room of my heart. Picture of my mom, hadn't seen her in 12 years. Today's Mother's Day, God is still good. Picture of my dad, pictures of my brothers, pictures of my friends, pictures of their family. Guys, this is my motivation. This is why when my feet hit the ground, like I want Satan to be like, oh no, like Chris is up, like it's on, like we need to send the army. Cause it literally like when I die, I hope Satan throws a party because my life was so under his lordship that my life was so about Jesus that when people were around me that I would shine so hard that they'd shut down Suntan City cause everybody's getting a tan. Like who's excited about the kingdom of God? Because here's the thing, if we as Christians, if we as Christians would stop getting fat on theology, begin to exercise and to live out what we claim, we become the most unstoppable people on planet earth. And so church, I ask you tonight as we gather around these tables and I call the band back up, I, this is the question I want you to ask each other. What hangs in the locker room of your heart? What motivates you? When you get up every day, is it to advance the kingdom of you? Or is it to get up and advance the kingdom of God? I'm gonna pray and, and after I say amen, this is a time where we're gonna get up and we're gonna take the, the Lord's Supper, a fancy word that we've started saying in, in our generation is communion because it's a little less Weird, I guess, I don't know. But I want you guys to know that when you take that cup, it represents the blood that Jesus shed for you. And my hope 
is that even as you take that cup and as you take that bread, that Jesus would open all of our eyes in a fresh new way. And my hope and my heart tonight is that maybe for the first time in a long time, or maybe for the first time ever, that you would begin to see him high and lifted up. King of kings, Lord of lords. There's no other God like him. And here it is. He is radically in love with you, every single one, no matter where you're from, no matter what your story is. So let's pray. After I pray, we're gonna get up, we're gonna go to the tables, we're gonna take communion together. God, thank you, Lord, for uh, letting us have fun tonight. God, I thank you, Lord, that Ethos is a place that um, allows uh, weird, crazy people like me to be able to get up and preach. And Lord, I, I pray, God, tonight, Father, that you would just open the floodgates of your spirit. Lord, as, as we sing, God, I pray for the first time in a long time. I don't know who it is in this room, but I pray, God, that they would just begin to confess, that they would repent, and they would come back under your lordship. Father, everybody in this room, everybody in this room, Lord, everybody in this room you died for, everybody in this room you can redeem, and everybody in this room you love. And Father, I pray that Ethos Church would be a church that carries Ephesians 2 in our hearts and that we would begin to be the church that sings red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in our sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen.